0: Who can define evangelism? Like, literally, feel free to shout out an answer. Anybody know what evangelism is? I will wait. (laughs) Talking about Jesus. Jesus, Great place to start. Thank you. That is correct. Anything else? Sharing the gospel. gospel. Okay. What else? Being Being a witness. Yes, these are all great answers. I don't have to preach the rest of the message. You guys just checked all the boxes. Um, Yeah, that's a great place to start. Evangelism encompasses who we are, being a witness, what we're talking about, the gospel, who we're talking about, Jesus, um, and a number of other things. Um, The word evangelism comes from the Greek word that the New Testament writers used for the gospel. Um, Evangelism literally comes from the Greek word evangelion, which meant good news. So the word evangelism literally means to share the good news, the good news about, about Jesus. And uh, in scripture, when we hear about evangelism, it's spoken about in a couple of ways. People, some people are given the spiritual gift of evangelism. In the New Testament, we read about this. There are some people that God gives a special a gift to, uh, they want to talk about Jesus. They are especially gifted at that. They find their greatest joy in telling people about Jesus. They are gifted for evangelism. So some people, that's the case for them within the church. For other people within the church, we may not have the gift, spiritual gift of evangelism, but we all have the responsibility to evangelize and share Christ. So in that sense, it's a discipline for some of us. It may not be especially how we're wired, but yet we still are called to share our faith. And so it's spoken of as kind of a gift and also a discipline, something that some people love to do, something that other people, it might not be their favorite thing, and they have some apprehensions to overcome, but yet they're still called to do it. So evangelism is a really important thing in the life of any uh, believer. And so my, my goal today is to uh, clarify what evangelism is and equip and encourage our church family to do this, um, I do want to say though, if you're new to the church, if you're visiting today, or maybe you're not even a Christian, you're just like, I'm just trying to find out what church is. Um, today, you're going to get a little bit of an insider's look into how we think about this, what we think about our faith, and why we care about. Uh, sharing uh, the good news of Jesus with you and others. And so I'm actually glad you're here. Even if this might feel a little bit insider for you, I think it's going to give you a sense of uh, kind of the heart and the focus of our church. Um, today's going to be a little bit different. I'm going to be in a little bit more kind of teacher mode than normal because there are just some basic concepts we need to understand. So I would encourage you to take notes. There's note cards on your table there. There's highlighters. Follow along uh, try to engage and, and, and stick with me. I'm going to move to the side here so you can see the screen um, as we go through some of these ideas. Um, but uh, I want to uh, start out with just a basic question, and it's this. Why should we do evangelism? Why should we? Why is it important? This is the really critical place to start for us. And and actually, there's a pretty simple answer to this. Why should we do evangelism? Jesus told us to. In fact, in some of his final words before he ascended into heaven after his resurrection, he spoke about this in in Matthew 28. Um, We'll just put on the screen if you want to follow along with the scripture here. Um, Matthew 28, 18 to 20. This is the very end of the book. Um, Jesus is speaking to his followers and he says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus and his like his parting words made it very clear that we were supposed to tell people about him, tell the good news about who he is and what he's done. This is fundamental to our call, is to go make disciples. Now, make disciples incorporates kind of two things. There's people becoming Christians, placing their faith in Christ, And then also making disciples means growing in our faith after we've placed our faith in Christ. But definitely sharing Jesus with people is part of this. Go make disciples. But I do want to make sure we don't miss the last part there. He says, surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We are not doing this on our own and in our own strength. When Jesus said to share the good news, share the gospel, share our faith, he's not just saying, good luck. He's saying, I'm going to be with you. I'm involved in this process. And we're going to learn more in a minute what that looks like. Um, But Jesus gave us a couple of important metaphors for understanding, reaching out, and and sharing the gospel. And so I want to just uh, highlight those for a second. In Matthew 5, Jesus said this. These are sort of famous words from the Sermon on the Mount. He said this, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, his followers being salt and light in the world. These two metaphors. I think light is something that we get. That's a pretty straightforward metaphor. We, we are the light of the world. We don't hide that light. If we have the light of Christ in our life, we're meant to live openly as if that's true and tell people about it. And we, we let that light shine. He also says we are the salt of the earth. Now that's a metaphor that might not just sort of be obvious to us what that means, salt of the earth. Um, There's this great video. If you're into watching this kind of stuff, I would encourage you to go look it up. You can find it on YouTube. Um, Tim Keller is a uh, famous author, theologian, pastor, and uh, he was invited to address British Parliament not that long ago, several months ago. And the subject was, what does Christianity have to offer the Western world in the 21st century? And it's this amazing talk. It's like 20 minutes. But in, in that talk in speaking to British Parliament, um, and Tim Keller's from New York City, by the way, um, he talks about being salt, uh, and he speaks about this passage, and, and, and he, he points out in that video that when Jesus says you're the salt of the earth, earth doesn't mean ground. It's world. You're the salt of the world, the people, the globe, and, and, and as salt is sort of dispersed in meat, this is the metaphor, Christians are meant to be dispersed throughout the world, and salt does a couple things. It's savory, meaning it brings out the flavor, it brings out the best in the world. That's what we're meant to be as Jesus' followers. Salt is also a preservative, meaning that uh, Christians, as followers of Christ, we are meant to uh, prevent the world's worst tendencies, preserve, give life, give hope. And salt, by the way, Keller makes a point in this talk, salt only works... Uh, if it's salt, and this is, of course, what Jesus said in the passage, if it it's works as salt because it's not the meat. It's different. And so this is, Jesus is helping us to understand why should we do evangelism? Because, number one, he tells us to. This is part of our call. And we are called to be salt and light in the world. We are meant to live as people bringing hope to a lost and broken world. That's what we're meant to do. That's how we're meant to live. So I want to just ask you, those of you who are Christians, um, just kind of a diagnostic question. Uh, when is the last time, can you think of the last time that you shared your faith openly, spoke about Jesus openly with someone in your life? I don't say this to make you feel bad if you haven't any anytime recently. There are many seasons in my life where I haven't, Really prioritize that, I'll admit that. Um, but I ask you that just to, just to give you a moment to think about this, to think about, am I really, am I really following Jesus' call on this? Am I really prioritizing this? Is this even on my radar to be trying to look for opportunities to share the gospel? Because it should be on all of our radar. This is what Jesus said go make disciples. So that's why we should evangelize. Let's talk now. The second kind of key point here is how should we evangelize? How? How do we do this? The answer to this speaks to our heart, our motives, and our tone. So Galatians 2.20, it's one of my favorite verses in the New Testament. This is the Apostle Paul talking about his life and what his life is about. And he said this. He says, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul was saying the shape of his life, the whole view of his life was based on what Jesus did for him, who Christ is. It shaped his worldview and his view of his life. And and we similarly... Our worldview, if we are in Christ, should be rooted in what Christ did for us. That's the starting point of this. The, our worldview, you know, is the way we look at the world, where our source of truth comes from, our source of purpose comes from. And our life's purpose, if we are in Christ, should be oriented around God's priorities, seeing people come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. That should be a part of our life's purpose. And so how the how of evangelism, how do we do this? It really starts there. It starts in our hearts. Do we really view our lives as an outflow of what Christ has done for us? We share Christ. We evangelize because we've been transformed by him, and and we want to see others experience that joy in life. So it it starts from there, our life being oriented around Jesus. This next verse we're going to look at goes to tone. This is from 1 Peter 3. This is Jesus' kind of lead disciple, Peter. Speaking about this subject, he says, Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have, but do this with gentleness and respect. <laughs> Always be prepared, he says, to give reasons for your faith. So you should have a sense of why you believe what you do. You don't have to be a theologian, you don't have to have an encyclopedic knowledge of the Bible, but you need to ha- be able to articulate the reasons why you believe what you do. But when you do that, it should be done with gentleness and respect. Tone matters. (laughs) Tone matters. We live, I don't, this is not news to you. We live in this age of outrage fueled by social media that's mainly focused on winning arguments and, you know, just sort of, you know, being right all the time. Um, we are not meant to have that attitude and to strike that tone. In fact, we are meant to exemplify a calm, warm conviction, a kind steadiness. That's what Peter's getting at. And so, kind of, the lessons here are if you're not speaking about Jesus to others, we should start. And if you are, but you're not being gentle and respectful, ask God's help in beginning to speak in that way about changing your tone. I want to share two more verses here that have really been a guide for me. These are two of my favorite verses in the New Testament about this topic of how we engage with people who don't think the same way that we do, don't believe the same thing that we do. This is the Apostle Paul in Colossians 4. He says this Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. In other words, people who don't believe in Christ. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, there's that metaphor again, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Be wise, he says, think it through how you might talk about your faith. Make the most of every opportunity. You should be looking for opportunities to talk about Jesus. And then he talks about your words. Let them be full of grace. Let them be, you know, kind, respectful, attractive, engaging. You know, the, the word grace means showing favor to someone who doesn't deserve it. So even if you think someone doesn't deserve you being kind to them, be kind. Let your words be full of grace, seasoned with salt. Like Jesus said, you're working for their best. This should be our posture of sharing our faith. Not condemning, not arguing, just to prove people wrong. We're not trying to win like a victory for ourselves. That's not what this is about. Let let me just do a quick experiment here. Raise your hand if you came to a vibrant faith in Christ because someone angrily told you you were wrong and needed Jesus and with a judgmental attitude argued you into believing. Is that the start of anybody's story in here? I don't think so. Gentleness and respect make the most of the opportunities. The third kind of key point here obstacles. Obstacles to evangelism. So we've talked about what evangelism is, how we should do it, our tone, our heart, our motives. What are the obstacles? Why don't we do this? (laughs) I think it really comes down to fear. But that fear takes two forms primarily. The first is this not knowing what to say. I think we, I mean, I know this is true for me. Um, It's sort of like, oh my gosh, what if I get asked a question I don't know the answer to? What if I don't have this perfect biblical theological case that I can make that's just, you know, would just be uh, obvious that someone would respond to? We we just think we have to sort of just be an expert. Um, And so we put this pressure on ourselves. And I think also the enemy, Satan, wants us to feel like people coming to Christ is mainly about us getting it right and having the right script, which it's so not. And so we end up sort of with this paralysis of like, ah, I just I don't know how to do it, you know, who am I? So I just won't. Not knowing what to say, it is not about that. The other fear, I think, is this, um, fear of seeming judgmental or intrusive. In our modern relativistic society, it is seeming stranger and stranger to say, I believe this thing that is true, and it's true for everyone, and you should believe it too. You know, even if you say that in the most gentle, kind, respectful way, just that kind of claim is harder and harder to feel like it's not intruding or being judgmental. It's almost like it's inherently judgmental. That's how it feels, at least in this moment. But one of the things we have to realize about this, about fear of seeming like we're intruding or being judgmental, somebody said this to me years ago. I wish I could remember who it was, but I just found it to be true. And it's especially true now with the way the Internet is. Everybody is preaching their gospel. People have no qualms of telling us what they think is the most important thing in life, what they think everybody should value, what they think gives a source of hope, all those kinds of things. Uh, At least this is true for me. I feel like I'm constantly bombarded with those kinds of messages. So we live in a world where people are free to speak their gospel. Of course, we know there is really only one gospel. but, But these other messages of what life should be about are constantly bombarding us. Why should we not also feel free to share what we believe is the truth and share our gospel, which is the gospel, and again, when you say that, when you say everyone's preaching their gospel without hindrance, we should feel free to speak ours too, you have to go back and footnote once again the tone conversation. It can't be, well, everyone's just sort of, you know, throwing their stuff out there and, and, and you're going to hear my p- peace of mind too. You know, that, that's not how this goes. Again, gentleness, respect, be wise. But we should feel free to share what we believe is true and what has changed our life. And, and it is not about us having all the answers and getting it all right and you know, being some perfect evangelist or something like that. You have to remember, God is laying the groundwork for all this stuff. God is working to grow his kingdom. There's a, a scholar of evangelism uh, named Jerry Root who says, um, he's got this quote that is just, I think just hits it right on target. He says, we do not take Jesus to anyone. He is already present at some level in everyone's life. We do not go to bring Jesus to anyone. Instead, we go to make explicit what he's already doing implicitly. And you know what that tells you? It means that if God opens an opportunity for you to share your faith, to talk about Jesus with someone, you can rest assured he has been preparing that person in their heart to hear what you have to say. You are not starting from scratch. It is not about you having the perfect script and getting it all right. So I think that's a key to evangelism and these obstacles is realizing it's not all on you. The pressure is not on you to like save somebody. God is already at work. He is the one who transforms lives. We have to trust him and just make ourselves available. I think that's a key. So two kind of final points um, in talking about evangelism. There's kind of two types of evangelism. The first is personal evangelism. So I want to talk for a few moments about personal evangelism. This is you directly sharing your faith with someone else, talking about Jesus to somebody directly. It could be someone who lives here in this community, a neighbor, it could be someone who lives on the other side of the world and you're Skyping with them or whatever. It's just somebody you know, or maybe you don't even know them, but you find yourself having an opportunity to speak one-on-one about your faith. So personal evangelism, I wanna give you three tips to think about Uh, to make yourself available for sharing your faith on a personal level. The first is this, pray and ask God to open doors for you. Ask God to do this. You know, that's part of understanding, again, it's not just about you. It's not just about you being ultra competent about talking about Jesus. It's about saying, Lord, I know you are working in people's lives, and I know that you have ordained for my life to intersect with their lives in certain ways, I want to be available to speak about you. Would you open those doors? So again, it starts with our heart that we are willing and want to participate in what Jesus is doing. And I think as we pray, we can kind of simultaneously have a sense of urgency. Like there are people who don't know Jesus and I believe Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. And therefore I want to help people hear the gospel. I want to see people come into a saving relationship with Jesus. That should give us a sense of urgency At the same time, we can trust God for the timing, and we don't have to take that burden. Oh my gosh, if I don't maximize every opportunity, did I just blow it? Is it all on me? No. So it's appropriate to have a sense of urgency while also kind of a steady trust that goes along with it. But we pray, and we say, God, open these doors. And sometimes, by the way, these doors are like a one-shot conversation where you're like, whoa, and sometimes it's years of talking. I, I've experienced both in my life. About five, six years ago, uh, a gentleman came to our house. I think he was with a pest control company. He was a contractor of some kind, and and I had to meet him at our house for him to do something. It was over my lunch break, and he comes in, and I, honestly, I'm like in a hurry. I want to get back to work. I'm just sort of like, yeah, yeah, do your thing. It's fine. And he's like, so what do you do for a living? And you know, if you're a pastor, you're always like, oh, geez, you know that it, it's, <laughs> you know, I don't know. I'm a surfer. I don't know. It's like anything. It's like either people are like, wow, that's so cool, or like, oh, I wish I hadn't asked. Um, so I say I'm a pastor, and he, and, but he, that really sort of, he, he was interested in that. He said, oh, that's really interesting. You know, what kind of church is it? And we start talking, and to be honest, it, still at this point, I'm just sort of like, okay, hurry up. I got to get back to work, which, hello. Um, <laughs> this is the work. Uh, anyway, so <laughs> so we start, we start talking, and then he's going through the house. I remember at one point, he, he's just asking me about Jesus, I mean, directly asking me. And he says, you know, my cousin for years has been talking to me about Jesus going to church. I just keep not going, but for some reason, I can't, like, set it aside. You know, what do you think? I remember at one point, I'm upstairs in my house, and he's got the attic thing pulled down, and he's up there, and he's literally shouting down to me, so has Jesus, like, changed your life? And I'm like, this could not be easier. And uh, no, but the end of it, it literally ended up in our kitchen. I had We had a dry erase board on our fridge, and I drew uh, kind of the... You may be familiar with this, some of you, the bridge illustration of, you know, you're here, God's here, and Christ bridges the, the gap, and walk through Romans 6.23. He prayed in my kitchen to receive Christ. This cousin of his, for years, had been evangelizing, sharing Jesus. He wasn't there for that moment. I was. I've never seen the guy since. But this was, he didn't even live in the area. So th- this was God's plan for him to encounter Christ. He literally walked through the door, he goes, I'm going to call my cousin right now, I'm going to church with him on Sunday. And so that's, those do happen. And I was not prepared for it. I was not in a good place. But, you know, God said, you're the guy. Here's the moment. Uh, another in, uh, example of the other type is um, we lived for three years in Denver while I was in grad school, and our next-door neighbors who became dear friends of ours um, were a- atheists. Uh, well, one of them is an agnostic who is kind of pretending to be atheist. But anyway, uh, but they became great friends of ours. We've been friends with them for 10 years. And we've been having conversation after conversation after conversation for years about God. They know what I do for a living. And, um, and they ask about our church, and we talk. And there have been seasons where it's really concentrated. They're asking lots of questions. We're pressing them to think about deep questions. And there have been years where we're just friends. But they're seeing the life of a Christian in us in some way that they might not normally and God's using that. There may come a day where they place their faith in Christ because we lead them, or someone else, and they're like, yeah, we had these friends for years who've been telling us this, and we don't get to see it. These things happen, but you have to trust that God is working, and he's going to use you in the way that he wants to at, in his timing. But you've got to pray for these opportunities. Say, God, I want to be there for those opportunities. So that's the first thing. The second thing is this. Write your story. Write your story. And this is for you and for them, because when you take the time to think about who God is, who Jesus is in your life, how he's changed you, it is going to encourage you, and bless you, and it's actually going to propel you to want others to feel the same, and to experience the same thing, so you write your story, and I do think sometimes an apprehension for some people is like, well, what's the big, my story's boring, like, what's the big deal about my story, it's, it's, you know, but it is not about you having an exciting story, because newsflash, you're not the hero of this story. (laughs) <laughs> Jesus is the center of this. And so you're not trying to tell a good story. You're sharing the gospel and the story of Jesus's rescue mission and how that has played out in your life is never going to be boring. And so you be prepared to, to, to share your story when God opens the door. Now, I, I want to let you know, in your baskets on the table, uh, I have these kind of half sheets. You can pull it out there and see. There are kind of four elements, I think, of a story Um, that you can think through, and this is kind of homework that I would would encourage you to do sometime in the near future. There's not going to be a quiz next week or anything like that, but in the near future, write your story so that you have thought through how you might talk about Jesus when the opportunity presents itself because you're not trying to memorize some canned, impersonal script. You're talking about Jesus who loves you and how he's changed your life. So here are the kind of the elements of the story. Um, up here on the screen is same thing that's on that sheet, so you don't need to write this down. But the, uh, the elements are kind of how you came to know Christ. How would you articulate that? For me, it's a story of God's grace that I was born into a family with parents who loved Jesus. And uh, yeah, that's not particularly exciting. You go back a couple generations, there's some more interesting stories. But isn't it a testament to God's grace that I got to be born into a family with parents who love Jesus. And I got to learn from a young age about what was true and and discover over and over uh, how true that was in in the course of my life. So that's kind of what I would say on that answer. Then the second piece is a gospel passage. So you want to have something in scripture you can point to that tells people who, who Jesus is, that he gave his life for their sins and that he loves them. And and they're worth dying for, and all these these amazing truths about the mission of Christ, the rescue mission. So I gave some examples uh, on the sheet. I think you can see a little better than up here. Um, I always like Romans six twenty three. It talks about the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. It kind of paints a picture of here's sort of life without God. Here's life with God because of Christ. So you just that that's the verse I went to with the guy who was in my kitchen, because I'm not trying to make this up. I want to point to how God articulated this truth. And so, you know, you just have a passage that's the gospel kind of ready to go. Then I think the third piece is how knowing God has changed your life. If if you came to Christ, let's say at 18, what was your life like before 18? And what has it looked like since? How have you seen God working in your life? If, like me, you became a believer at a really young age, and it's kind of hard to remember what that was like, so you're like, I don't know, you could turn that question around a little bit and say you know what do you think your life would be like if God wasn't in it if Christ wasn't in your life can you imagine what your life would be like so you want to think through that a little bit and then finally I think another great thing is just to have a passage of scripture at hand that is just especially meaningful to you that just you have found strength from because again you're telling your story you want to be real you want to tell the truth of who Jesus is, but you also want to tell your real story. For me, Psalm 23 is one I always go back to. It's a famous passage about the Lord is my shepherd, which means I'm the sheep, He's the shepherd. Uh, he, you know, He leads me in these green pastures and guides me to still waters. And even though I go through dark valleys, I don't need to fear because He's in the dark valley with me. It doesn't mean there aren't dark valleys. It means He's in the valley. And that is such a beautiful lens about who God is. That's a passage I always go back to for myself. And so if I were talking to someone about my faith, I would probably find my way eventually to Psalm 23. So this is how you do it. This is how you, 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 you pray for these opportunities to share your faith. And then when the door opens, you, you talk about your story. You talk about these kinds of things. And when you get to the end of the story, you can offer to pray for the person you're talking to. You can invite them to church. You can say, hey, can we meet once a month for coffee? Whatever it makes sense to continue the conversation, uh, you can. Um, I do want to say, if you're in this room and you're not a believer, you've not placed your faith in Christ, I would just encourage you to think about, if you were writing your story, what would you put on that page? What would you say has given you a sense of hope and truth and joy that can weather the storms of life. Where does all that come from for you? And if you don't have an answer, we should talk. Come find me. I'd love to talk to you about that. So that's kind of personal evangelism. I would encourage you, again, to write your story. Think through that. Have it available and pray that God opens those doors. Um, The third piece of advice on sharing your faith personally is think questions, not answers. I think that's part of the fear again. Oh my gosh, I don't have all the answers. What if they ask me something I don't know? Think questions, not answers. You, your goal is to talk honestly with people about their life, and you want to get you want to discover their deepest questions and struggles, um, which can take time. That's what you want to discover, and 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 discovering that takes asking questions. We know that Christ ultimately is the answer. Christ meets our deepest needs, but, but think about questions, and um, I want to give you a couple examples of questions that I think are great, I've used. Um, the first one, Mary Jo Sharp, she's a professor of evangelism right here at HBU, um, a well-known author, and, and she suggests just asking people, why do you believe that? Because you'll get into spiritual conversations and they'll say, well, I think this is about God and I think, you know, this or that. And, and you can just ask, you know, why, why do you believe that? Not in a like a, Pfft, why do you believe that? Again, tone, but just to take a genuine interest. You know, how did you arrive at this conclusion that this is true? I, I sat next to a lady on a plane to India uh, a couple years ago. And, and I told her what I did for a living. Again, it opens the door to interesting conversations. And, oh, she's, Jesus is awesome. I love Jesus. You know, uh, and then she starts saying all this strange stuff about, you know, my Christ self is this and this, but my, my you know, Buddha self, and I'm like, you know, it just we're not speaking the same language. And, um, so she basically described, she essentially had this view that sort of all the religions are true and, you know, they're all, Jesus is a good guy. And so I just kind of listened and I asked her that. I said, you know, why do you believe that? You know, what led you to believe that this sort of mix is true and sort of worth basing your life on? And we talked for like three hours. And, um, so just asking why, why do you believe that? It's a good place to start. I want to give you another question, um, this is probably my favorite. So N.T. Wright, some of you uh, may know his name. He's a world-famous scholar of the New Testament. He's a theologian. Um, he was a bishop in the Church of England. And earlier in his career, he was the chaplain at Oxford. So when these students would come to Oxford, uh, one of the things they had to do, these first-year undergraduates, is go meet with the chaplain, which was N.T. Wright. And uh, he would just get to know them and be, you know, I'm here for you, that kind of thing. And uh, he, he, he describes how these Freshmen would come in, and they would kind of, with a little bit of embarrassment, be like, hey, it's nice to meet you and all, but like, I don't actually believe in God, so you're probably not going to be seeing me very much. And he, he just had these conversations all the time, and so he developed this kind of stock answer to that. And they would say, I don't believe in God, and he would go, oh, that's interesting. And then he would ask this question, which God is it that you don't believe in? Because he knew that they had a picture of God in their mind that they were rejecting. And he wanted to know what that picture is. And so they would go on and stumble out some phrases like, well, you know, the God who lives up in the sky, who sort of looks down disapprovingly, occasionally maybe does some miracles, sends bad people to hell, good people to heaven. And he would just listen. And then he had kind of another stock reply where he would say, oh, that's interesting. I don't believe in that God either. And, and he would go on to say, I believe in the God I see revealed in Jesus. And he would share the gospel. It was a question. It wasn't, I've got the truth and the answers for you, and you're going to hear it. It was, you know, tell me about why you believe what you believe. Which God is it that you don't believe in? And it began a dialogue. Asking questions. So we ask these questions about where people are, and we listen For answers to see what they're really struggling with, what they're really going through, the deep questions they really have. And when we have been given permission or an opportunity to go a little bit deeper and share who Jesus is, we tell our story. This is a very biblical, authentic way to do this. I want to give you an example of this I heard recently that I just thought was great, and uh, so I wanted to bring it here. Um, Ed Stetzer is a professor of evangelism, At Wheaton College. In fact, he's the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair of Evangelism. He runs the Billy Graham Center. So Ed Stetzer, in the evangelism world, he's like the guy. And uh, he was getting into an Uber with his wife to go to the airport. And uh, he sees a Bible on the seat of the Uber car. And in the course of driving to the airport, he starts to realize that this lady driving the Uber is evangelizing him. And he doesn't stop her. He, he like he, he's kind of playing it coy. And she's going deeper and deeper. And his wife is like, Ed, like you have to tell her. So he finally is like, Okay, Jane, you have to know I'm a professor professor of evangelism and you are doing an amazing job. <laughs> <laughs> and and he, he said, Can I interview you? And can I can I ask you some questions about your job and how you do this? And she said, Yeah. And so he did this interview. It's only four questions. And so I want to read those questions and Jenny is going to play the part of Jane in this dialogue. So you can just hear the interview right now. So I'm Ed Stetzer. Oh yeah, Jane, This he wrote an article based on this interview that was published in Christianity Today. Jane the Uber driver and how God uses ordinary events for extraordinary purposes. So uh, he begins to interview her and Ed says this. How did you get into Uber driving?
1: I got into Uber... Hello? Yep, there we go. I got into Uber driving because my kids encouraged me to pick up a temporary job to make a little extra money as I'm in real estate and things are a little slow right now. They thought that because I love to drive and I love being with people, that this would be a great opportunity for me to get out of the house
0: and be an encouragement to people. One of the first things I noticed was a Bible in your back seat. How do you start conversations with people about faith as an Uber driver?
1: I usually will ask them some questions like, how's your day going? Or I will ask them, where are you going? Are you on your way to work? As they share what they do, my first fishing throw at my hook is, oh, wow, that's such a blessing. Do you enjoy doing what you're doing? So I start with the word blessing. A lot of times the people will ask me, do you enjoy your job? I'll say, yeah, God really opened up this door for me. This helps me to see where the person is at. Some people will respond with, are you a believer or do you go to church? Then the door opens up. Sometimes when I don't get a response, I will continue with something like, well, do you know the area really well? Are you from this area? Just to kind of get a feel for if the person is from this area. If they do, then I'll say, well, gosh, what's your favorite restaurant? Do you have a favorite store that you like to shop at? Or do you have a church that you go to? Just to feel where the person is at.
0: Have you had an opportunity to actually go a little deeper with someone about what it means to be a Christian?
1: Oh, absolutely. Here's an example. Last Saturday, I picked up this guy. The route was seven minutes. In that time, he wasn't even buckled into my seat when he started unloading about his girlfriend he was on his way over to his girlfriend's house and she was in a crisis and he was beside himself on what to do. I started asking him more deeper questions just to get a clear understanding of where he was at. He said, Hey, what do you think I should do? I said, Well, do you go to church? He said, No, I don't do that stuff. I responded, Well, what about praying? He said, Well, I don't do that stuff. I said, Well, how about if I pray with you? This way you don't have to pray. I'm going to pray, and then let's see what God can do for you. So he was open to that. And by the time I dropped him off, he thanked me and said, This ride was meant to be. You were meant to be my Uber driver. And he gave me a $22 tip. It was awesome.
0: <laughs> do you think people are open to sharing the gospel or hearing the gospel? Typically, we think that no one is open to talking about faith, but you're starting conversations with strangers. So are they open? Are they not? They are
1: open. So many people are misdirected as to where their hope lies. When I'm driving, I look at it as an opportunity to plant a seed, sometimes to bring them to Christ. Sometimes it might be me leading them through the process of giving their hearts to Christ, but other times it's just giving them a smile or a word of encouragement. If they're asking me for advice, I love Proverbs. So it's not hard for me to be able to share a proverb, but I don't have to throw it in their face like, well, this is from Proverbs, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I will just say... Well, it's so important to be with the right friends because iron sharpens iron. That opens up a door and they may respond with, wow, where did you hear that from? Well, that's in God's word and God's word is truth. I'll respond. Sometimes we are given the opportunity to share the gospel. Sometimes we plant seeds. Every day I ask the Lord before I leave to show me how he wants me to share his love and light today.
0: That's such a perfect example of what we've been talking about. We pray and say, God, would you open doors? We just ask people questions about where they are in life, what they're struggling with. And then as opportunities present themselves, we begin to talk about God. We share our story. That's how it can look, how it should look to share our faith. So that's personal evangelism. Final point here is church evangelism. This is something we see in scripture as well. This works in concert with personal evangelism because we are the body of Christ. So this church evangelism would be our church family deliberately as a group reaching out to share Christ with the community around us. Um, That can be sort of passively in the sense of just kind of inviting people uh, to come to church, which is great. We should all keep doing that. Um, but it's not everything because God does call us to proactively go. He said go and make disciples, and so we are called to do that. And so um, there's an active side of church evangelism, our church going out into the community, building relationships, talking about Jesus, inviting people to be a part of our church family. So uh, the reason I bring this up here at the end is we, uh, uh, the pastors here at our church and some of the leadership, we've been having conversations about you know, what might God want to do in our church in the coming year? And um, we felt a pretty strong sense of conviction that uh, we want to kind of shine a light on this area where our church meets, this Belfort 99 area, and really try to reach out with uh, a fresh enthusiasm of sharing the gospel with people and inviting them to be a part of our church, or at least making it hard for people who live within five minutes of here not to know that we exist as a church. And so, um, you know, we do a lot of outreach uh, meeting material needs and physical needs in Rosenberg and Richmond, and we've built relationships. We're going to keep doing all that stuff. But we felt uh, in 2019 it was time to sort of reintroduce uh, and reinvigorate our passion for evangelism and reaching out as a church family and inviting people to be a part of this and meeting spiritual needs. Because, you know, we're called to address both physical and spiritual needs. I mean, Jesus calls us to actually help people who are poor, who can't, you know, who don't have clean water or food. That's what we're doing with the Matthew 25 challenge. But we also have to have a passion for meeting spiritual needs when even if if a person might not have obvious material needs. And so we've been kind of thinking through how we might do this. And um, here's a map of kind of where our current worship services are. So the bottom star there is where we are right now, Dolphus Elementary, and then the top star there across the street is the Perfect Latte, where we meet on Sunday evenings. Uh, for those of you who don't go to that service, we have a good number of folks who are coming to that uh, every single week, and that God's been really growing that service, which has been really neat. Um, but we kind of thought, okay, you know, what's a good place to start as far as getting out and sharing the gospel and telling people about Jesus? And we thought, well, five a five-minute drive seems like a pretty reasonable... If someone lives within five minutes of here, we should probably be reaching out and telling them about Jesus. I mean, we should probably view that as really sort of our... Our turf, our responsibility, uh, not turf in the sense of, like, no other churches can be involved, but, like, like we should care. You know, if people are five minutes from here, we should really be reaching out. So here's kind of a, a sense of what five-minute drive looks like. We're talking Longmeadow Farms, Fieldstone, Harvest Green, Waterside, Aliana. And just saying, look, if, it, if you could get here within five minutes, we want to reach out and know you. And we want to tell you about Jesus and invite you to be a part of our church family Um, if you're interested in that. And so we're going to be looking for ways to do that. And so we're kind of thinking of this as sort of our five-minute drive uh, initiative. Um, And so we're going to be creating opportunities for our church to go out and share the gospel. And so I'm going to put a number here on the screen. Um, If you want to be involved, we're going to put a leadership team together. We don't have all the strategies worked out about how we're going to do this yet, but we're going to have different events. We're going to be building relationships with business leaders and community leaders. Um, And if if you feel a a draw to be a part of this, to be a part of the team that kind of helps plan what this is going to look like, just text that word five to that number. That's the number we, our usual text number for those of you who who come regularly. And uh, we'll loop you into those conversations. We're going to find creative ways and authentic ways to get out there and just tell people about Jesus. And so um, be looking for those opportunities. We'll invite you as a church family to join us in doing that. Uh, and I think it's going to be really great. We want to fill that cross up. We want to see more tiles. And we want to we have a heart for evangelism and telling people about Jesus. And that starts with each of us asking God to do that in our hearts. And it also is the heart of our church has to be about sharing Christ.